Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Tim Maddams on, who is a chef. Hi, Tim. Hi, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Good. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you're up to? Um, well, right now I'm sitting in front of my laptop with a microphone <laughs> and half a glass of wine because it's Tuesday. Um, half a glass? And, oh, hang on. Is it even Tuesday? No, it's Monday today, isn't it? Oh, I guess they're confused. It's it is Tuesday. Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Thank <laughs> God. Thank God. Um, so that's what I'm. That's what I'm doing there. Um, but I, I was working quite a lot as a private chef. This year has been a little bit awkward on that front. Um, but I do a bit of private chefing. Uh, I, uh, I run and host some uh, little field sports days in the winter time, and I teach people about cookery. I write a little bit about cookery. Um, it's all about food really in my life. So where did this love of food come from? Oh, well, I mean, just natural greed, I think is <laughs> a good starting point. Um, and, and I sort of, I suppose as I've got older and tried to try to sort of put that into words in a better way than just saying I'm greedy. It's, for me about something that's an essential obligation you have to eat or you die mm. um why would you not want that to be enjoyable and worth the time spent in doing it now i know i know lots of people don't think like that food equals fuel that's it it's just a calorific slash nutrient trade-off um i, I feel sorry for them but for me, it's definitely not like that. So were you, um, did you have anyone in your family growing up who was a, a, a good cook or anything that, that you were able to learn from? Mm, mm, yeah, so I guess I was kind of pre-industrialized revolution of shoddy food availability, if you like. <laughs> we, we, we grew up, um, my sister and I, with my mum in a little cottage that belonged to granny. Um, otherwise, I think, you know, we'd have been in a, uh, in a state housing scheme of some sort. Uh, my father was absent and there wasn't a lot of money. And I think when there's not a lot of money around back then, that tipped you into the balance of not buying any modern food and shopping in the old-fashioned way because cooking was the only way you could afford to feed your family. At some point in the late 80s, that flipped and it became cheaper to buy processed, um, tampered-with food. And I think that's the point at which people, for the first time in history, began to be um, poor, malnourished, and yet overweight at the same time. Mm. We obviously did a bit of a bit of googling around you, um, and sort of found that your ethos is quite, you know, you like locally responsibly um, found foods, um, and that's part of your cooking, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I mean, the greatest secret out there that is no secret at all uh, is that if you want to eat great food, spend your time finding the people and the things that they grow um, or make and then do very little with them in the kitchen um, so that, you know, when you get really good food that's grown by people who've really thought about it and really care about it, um, you end up with very simple Bob as a chef, you know, in terms of cooking, it's just a case of putting great things together. Yeah, it's much easier to make a, make a good quality ingredients taste nice than bad quality ingredients taste nice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's the second sort of uh, open secret of great, 
great food in my opinion is that the person cooking it needs to taste it it's surprising how many people don't taste stuff as they're going along yeah but i mean that is that's and it's it's a bit of a cliche but i know certainly when i was working as a full-time chef in various different restaurants lots of chefs didn't taste stuff um you 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 can't know what something tastes like unless you taste it so where did you you start to learn uh, becoming a chef properly did you go to school to learn it or did you jump straight in and become a uh, working working in a kitchen at some at some point well i sort of did both at the same time so i was working as a as a pot washer in a sort of well well thought of local-ish pub to where i grew up in the middle of wiltshire um and i also went to uh you know i did a two-year full-time uh GNVQ, which apparently stands for General National Vocational Qualification, but I, I'm pretty sure at the time was thought to mean got no valid qualifications. <laughs> so I did this BTEC GNVQ Advanced in Catering and Hospitality Management, which is a bit of a mouthful, at Salisbury Technical College, um, which was, a, you know, they, they tried really hard to deliver a comprehensive course. Um, but you can't really learn to cook brilliantly in sort of five hours twice a week. You know, you need a bit more, you need a bit more time than that. Um, so, so both is the short answer. I was working in a, in a pub kitchen, started washing up and then making salads and desserts and then, you know, onwards from there. But at the same time, I was, I was uh, at college uh, trying my best to be a, a good pupil. And obviously, uh, do you think it was worth going to the uh, learning at a college or would you actually recommend people to just get into a, a kitchen, start as a pot wash and then work their way up? Difficult. First, probably first eight years of working as a professional chef, I would have said that college was a waste of time uh, beyond the sort of health and safety. I've managed to, you know, not blow anything up or set fire to myself uh, <laughs> things. But as you go, as you, the, the dreadful thing about being a chef really is that the better you are, or at least the, the more competent you become at cooking restaurant setting, the further you away you are taken from the creative cooking bit, and the more you're asked to do the, you know, the ordering, the health and safety audit, the the kosh management, the rotor building, and, and and the problem there is that you then you get you know chefs who are promoted because they're good at cooking. <laughs> Uh, not because they're good at admin and then they end up trying to manage a busy department and do all the admin which is perhaps not something that they're they're geared up for and 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 often back in my day things are much better now I'm sure but often perhaps weren't trained to do were just expected to get on with um but after you know after five six seven years I guess of of working you know I started to appreciate the sentiment of what i'd learned at college although most of it was you know out of date by then in terms of management technique and legislation and stuff and what was your your journey from obviously being that pot washer and, and uh, going through college to where you are now like, um what, what did it entail for you and was it a lot of long nights uh, i know a, a chef's life can be uh be quite hard work yeah there's some on the on the face of it, there's very little to recommend the industry. To be honest, I mean, my first <laughs> my first full time job was for um, a company called Centre Parks, who I think you'd all be familiar with. Out there, mm. quite a well known sort of European holiday firm. Um, and I think, if I remember rightly, I was earning. Now this would have been nineteen 
97, something like that, 1998, 1997, I think, um, which obviously is a very long time ago, you know, virtually prehistoric. Um, I was earning, I think, £7,400 a year. And I was working on average 65 hours a week. Wow. So it wasn't, you know, I mean, in terms of like sort of the initial bump into the industry, you know, you sort of either made it in or you didn't. And I'm, I, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I, I did. I could cope with the long hours and the strange, you know, um, I'm not sure if it was machismo or, or what it was, but there was definitely a sense or a feeling that if you couldn't hack it, you know, if you couldn't do the hours, if you couldn't work seven days a week, breakfast, lunch and dinner, when someone else was on holiday, you had no right being in the kitchen. And I, I really don't think that that was a, that was a, a good thing. That was a very old fashioned uh, way of thinking about stuff, but I got sucked into it like a lot of other people do and believed it for a very long time. Uh, and in fact, you know, took it with me a long way through my career and expected other people to just put up with it because that's the way the industry was. And we, we had a head chef there actually who, used to say um, quite tritely, you know, that's the trade, I'm afraid. You know, that's catering. Oh. And we used to say, I used to sort of think, you know, that's that's a great thing, you know, it rhymes. <laughs> it, must, <laughs> it must be good. Um, but it wasn't until later that I thought, you know, if, if everyone keeps saying that, it's never going to get better. It's just going to be a shame. You know, I look around, uh, you know, when I was 25, I'm looking around and there's no one else in the kitchen over 40. And those that are have either been divorced once or twice or have drink problems or, or whatever. Mm. And I thought this, this is not a long term, you know, this is not a long term game. Uh, and so is that when it, when it changed for you, is that you had sort of an epiphany moment? No, not really. I just sort of ignored that and carried on doing what I was doing. <laughs> because, because what I meant to say is that the flip side of that is that the industry is enchanting, right? You get to work with yeah. creative people at the wrong time of day. You immerse yourself in it. You're excited about the process. Yes, there's boring bits like peeling potatoes and washing dishes and getting things wrong um, and, you know, putting date labels on stuff and all the boring bits that go with every job. But in the middle of it, it's this exciting, adrenaline-led, getting ready for service, creative, food-driven process, which ultimately is about making people happy. You want to put something on the plate that, that makes someone stop and just have a moment and go that's delicious well that's mm. the that's the aim right so all the bad stuff is kind of balanced out by this this need you know this connected need and desire to be good at what you do uh and and to, to produce great food and you meet some you know it's full of incredibly interesting dysfunctional creative <laughs> funny tired exhausted worn out brilliant people mm. and i guess what is a chef's average day well uh well we used to <laughs> we used to have something uh, when i worked in london i was in london for a while um about five years i think maybe slightly longer uh, there was a break in the middle i get confused but um but one of the one of the people that i worked for when i was up there uh, was a chap called Mark Pierre White, and he wasn't in oh, wow. the kitchen in those days, although he did pop in and terrorise us all from time to time. <laughs> um, he was actually quite a quite a fun guy. Uh, we have, used to arrive with you know a couple of hundred partridge and have a quick chat, and then disappear again. Um, but it was quite stressful. And and there we used to have a system where you would work 
let me see. I think we worked eight days and then had five days off or seven days and have four days off, something like that. So you do seven days straight and then have four days break or you'd have two days and then, you know, break it up that way. Um, and we, you would get one single shift or half day as it was called in that run. And I think the rest of the days would be what we euphemistically called a split shift or a double um, so a double would be arrive at work at eight o'clock in the morning, uh, prep and work through for lunch, uh, serve lunch, get cleared down, head off usually to the pub for a couple of hours, uh, in those <laughs> days, uh, not the best idea, I'm sure. And then at sort of five o'clock, maybe half five, quarter to six, back into the restaurant, gear up for night service, serve supper until 10, pack down the kitchen, you know, 11, 12 o'clock leave and go home and you do that for you know as at sort of six of your seven days or seven of your eight days and then you'd have one day which was a half day <laughs> you have a single shift in a day um which is entertaining as that would be sort of eight in the morning till five o'clock in the afternoon which most people would consider to be longer than an average working day now obviously for being a chef you the majority of it is um producing the same meal uh, you know, night in, night out sort of thing. But when you get to create a new dish, um, what's that like? Creating almost a new menu. Is that quite a good experience for the team in the kitchen? Yeah, if you're involved. I think uh, that's the, the best jobs. The best jobs in cooking for me have always been the ones where you get to, you get to, to make the decisions. You know, you get to at least put some dishes forward. Uh, and that's a really important part, I think, of managing a team. Um, not that I knew that when I was managing teams, but looking back, I think you, know, you should always allow the team around you to have some kind of creative input. Otherwise, you know, they're getting a bit of a bum deal, really. Um, and I think lots of fantastic kitchens out there do do that, you know. Uh, and that's that's the best bit, really, finding the time to wedge in a bit of creativity. And, you know, if you can make a dish and put it on the table for everyone at tasting time and they all turn around, or, you know, they all stop in their tracks and look at you and you go, so yeah, found one, <laughs> found a dish that everybody likes. Awesome. It's going on the menu. That really is, is, you know, that's the joy of it. And uh, what uh, personality traits do you see in yourself and other chefs uh, around you that you think really, really help you thrive? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, <laughs> well, I think, it, I think everyone has different, because there's, because there's two sides to it, right? Because there's the sort of, you know, the slightly dysfunctional hours going on, which is very difficult if you've got a family or you have a relationship with someone who's not working similar hours. Um, then one of the things you definitely need is a, is a bit of determination and a very good sense of humour. And then I think for the, for the, you know, for the positive side, and that I, I include in that really great, you know, there's brilliant people out there who are, brilliant cooks but above and beyond that they're fantastic kitchen managers they're brilliant heads of department uh, i definitely you know wasn't one of them my chefs used to really enjoy phoning me up on road today and explaining that they couldn't work shifts you know twice at the same time that was temporarily impossible um <laughs> i wasn't very good at that um and, and so I think the character traits that you need are determination and desire to actually do to do it to do it. But you also need honesty with yourself. So 
the one of the things in the industry um, that perhaps happens a bit less now than it used to was if you didn't like somewhere you were working or you didn't get on, you didn't mess about, you just left and got another job. Now, right now, that's not possible. Uh, I can't imagine anyone with a decent chef's job right now is, is thinking anything about leaving it because, you know, the industry's in crisis as we speak. Um, but certainly, you know, a, a, a bit of self-awareness in terms of if you're doing something and it turns out it's not for you to just crack on and go and find something else. And I think those those traits are the ones that, that you look for, along with the other stuff that you just need to be a good employee, an understanding of a hierarchy system, an understanding that you're being paid for your time and you need to be there, with the counterbalance of the, that that should be a respectful two-way street rather than a, you know, you work for me, you put me at the top of your life kind of thing. Yeah. Do you find that... Uh the the professional or the, the chef industry um has almost like a mentoring system going on is there chefs that are quite willing to bring people in and teach them yeah yeah definitely and that those really are the chefs who are successful uh because if you don't do that you can't get good reliable staff i mean there's been a staffing shortage in the industry since i was at college they were talking about it um, and no one stopped talking about it and it's got worse. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of, for a long time, there was a, a good supply of people who were reasonably good at, at you know, mid-level kitchen work who basically, because you didn't really need any qualifications and maybe, you know, whatever career path you planned hadn't quite gone right for you, you would end up working in a kitchen. Well, those guys have now got lots of other options that don't involve them being at work at 12 o'clock at night. Um, and there are lots of jobs in food which perhaps you wouldn't need to be that qualified for that might be in a, a food factory or a, a sort of process-driven kitchen or in a um, you know a public service kind of place working in a hospital kitchen or somewhere like that. Those, those have sort of hoovered up all those people because the working life is better. And so the restaurant industry has really struggled for the lack of them. And so to go back to your question, if you're not recruiting almost every person that appears uh, you you know to want to work with you and has a bit of spark about them and doing your best to invest in them then you haven't got a you haven't got a team because you know you need to build that yourself these days the the, the staff are not sitting out there waiting for you to employ them what is it about the Marco Pierre Whites, the Raymond Blancs, the Gordon Ramsays that really sets them all apart from from other chefs um, good press, <laughs> uh, good press, the right place, the right time. You know, I, I have met countless chefs who are equally as good and as passionate as those big names you've just reeled off. Um, and who are quietly running great restaurants and you've probably never heard of them and are mm. unlikely to ever do so. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't need to be notorious or celebrated to be brilliant at what you do. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure there's anything sets them apart other than yeah, a bit of right place, right time. I mean, they've done phenomenal things. Do not get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from them. I mean, these guys who are, you know, realms of brilliance above uh, where I'll ever be. They, you know, astonishing people that have changed the, the or contributed to changing the face of restaurant dining as we know it. I mean, Raymond Blanc and what he's done at the, uh, the Manoir Cache Saison is just you know, that's an institution. It's a global institution of, of a place, you know. So 
they they have done incredible things, but I think there are lots of other people out there have done them. So to set them aside is perhaps unfair, and certainly um, most of them, I think, would would agree with that. Is it maybe fair to say it might be the business side of running a restaurant that they've been, and the publicity side, maybe they've been particularly good at? Uh, yeah, um, and maybe before publicity for restaurants was really a thing, perhaps they were having a go at it. You know, I, there was definitely behind great chefs. There's definitely great teams of people doing doing other, mm. you know, for in you know for sightful stuff. Uh, in terms of business, I mean, I, well, you know, I can count. I can't count on all my fingers and toes the number of bad business decisions um, I've had reported to me by various famous <laughs> chefs. I mean. I mean, it's a it's an old it's a joke in the industry. It's like, oh, you've got some money to burn. You should uh, you should sponsor a <laughs> chef to open a restaurant. You know, we're always getting asked. Uh, you know, back in London, uh, by, or I was by by business people, people that I would meet that were working in finance or whatever. So, you, you know, is it a money laundering operation? <laughs> you, know, you get these questions, and um, well, God knows, maybe it was. I mean, there were times I won't name employers, but there were times where you know you you get to the end of the month and your paycheck would arrive in a brown paper envelope stuffed full of cash. Yeah. And it was, it was a case of happy days. Here's the money. You know, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't ask necessarily twice uh, where it was coming from. Um, yeah. I think, I think certainly now, you know, you don't, I mean, Marco's have more failed restaurant enterprises than you can, <laughs> you can have hot dinners for. I mean, there's, yeah, I don't think there's much shying away from that as a, as a fact. And yet he's mm. retained, his reputation and his brilliance and has various successful enterprises as well. So yeah, I think the more you dilute someone, you know, the harder it is to replicate or get close to the level that, that you, they used to achieve perhaps as a benchmark. Mm. It's very and difficult to roll out a, a, a fantastic restaurant project, although lots of people continue to try and do so. Mm. It's one of those industries that is just incredibly difficult, isn't it? To, to, to survive and thrive in. Yeah, because there's something, you know, there's something ephemeral about great mm. cooking. I mean, it's sort of, it can be quite fleeting. You know, restaurants can be of the moment. Every now and again, you get an Ivy or a Caprice or a Manoir or, or you know, oh, I could name a few hundred, but that stand the test of time and, and go beyond that. But that doesn't mean that somewhere that was absolutely wicked for a couple of years isn't, in some ways, is almost better. You know, it's like the band that splits up. You know, you're, you always be looking back to their second difficult album and going, that's when they were really, you know, nailing it. Mm. And I think that, you know, there's, there's been a lot of great restaurants like that. that they're, they're sort of fleeting and then you can have bad experiences in them like you can at any other restaurant. But if you had a good one there, it would be on your, you know, ingrained in your memory forever. So uh, we've obviously spoken a little, a little bit about um, what you're doing currently as a private chef. Uh, well, no, the current climate is a bit bit different for that. Um, what what does that sort of uh, involve for you? Uh, it's well, it's the gig economy, I guess. In that's in one sense, and in another sense, it's the freedom to starve. I mean, you you get to a point. Certainly, I got to a point where I was running a busy restaurant, and uh, that was becoming less and less fulfilling for me. On a uh, from a point of view of getting more and more involved with spreadsheets and. Uh, I thought, well, I might as well just, you know, I also don't want to carry on now. I've got two small children. I want to go and be a bit more of a family man. So I need to do something independent. And working as a private chef is great because as long as you get enough bookings, you can 
you, you know, you can more or less sort of work when you want to and the flexibility between bookings can be quite good. Um, so it, it, you basically advertise or get jobs via word of mouth, quote for the job, create the menu that they want for the job. And that could be a one night dinner party. It might be a lunch party. It might be something bigger, like an event of some sort, although I don't, I try and steer away from big events because I'm not really geared up to do them. And it sort of becomes food by numbers eventually, which is a bit dull. Um, and I'm a great believer that you shouldn't sort of compete with others too much. You should do what you do. And if people want you, then they'll come to you to do it. Uh, and then you'll sort of agree a, a price based on a day rate plus some ingredients and whatever travel requirements are, are needed to get you to the place and get you back again. Uh, and then the, the client will either sort of, you know, uh, they have an alarming habit these days of quibbling over the price, which is, you know, seems seems a bit of a shame. Um, you know, even a sort of halfway good watercolorist probably gets what they ask for when you know <laughs> when they're commissioned to paint someone's house mm. but anyway um i'm griping uh <laughs> you, you 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 know you 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 take the contract you they pay you a deposit and that's it they're booked in and you deliver the event by hook or by crook and then you issue an invoice and that's that contract settled so you've had quite a quite an interesting career you know you've written some books you've done a bit of tv but what are some of the biggest positives and opportunities you've got out of this career i guess river cottage would be one of the main ones yeah well i mean river cottage was it was was almost an accident really i mean i remember watching a couple of episodes of hughes cook on the wild side when i was at college and thinking oh that guy's interesting he's doing something different i'll have to go and check him out and then obviously you know life gets in the way and I actually went for the job at River Cottage so I ended up at, at River Cottage as a as a sous chef in a new canteen they were opening and um, I was put up for that job by my then fiance and by the time I accepted the job wife uh, because she was concerned that I'd moved to the west country without a job and that I was going to get back from honeymoon with nothing to do and she wasn't very happy about that <laughs> um, because Prior to that, I've been working on a contract uh, basis for a, a company providing hospitality for Formula One teams. So um, that had come to an end and I was sort of thinking, oh, well, I'll get a job when we get back off honeymoon. Anyway, Caroline, my dearly beloved better half, uh, spotted this advertisement that said, oh, River Cottage are recruiting. And, and she was like, oh, it's River Cottage are recruiting. And I didn't put two and two together, that Hugh Fernley Whittingstall and River Cottage. So I just rocked up at River Cottage for a, a job interview, you know, with a with a loaf of bread under one arm and a, I think some pate I've made under another, because I think you know, if you turn up, turn up for a, a job interview as a chef without something to offer, you know, it's, um, it's a bit disappointing really. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was interviewed by Gil and a guy called Dan and Dan who wrote the bread book for River Cottage, who was going to be the head chef uh, for the canteen. He, they sort of said, okay, great. We'd like to give you the job as sous chef and, went backwards and forwards a bit over the deal and that was fine and I went off and got married went off on honeymoon came back uh turned up for work and Dan was no longer the head chef he unfortunately fallen ill and had to leave and someone else was the head chef there and they lasted I think two months maybe three um and I I was on my way from there as well because it was I've been offered a, a head chef ship somewhere else by that time at a local restaurant and it hadn't been, you know, I mean, it was very disorganized and a bit chaotic. And I thought, well, I've just got to 
go and do what I need to do. So I, mm. I thought I'll be off. Um, the head chef there that I was working for there then left uh, quite dramatically. And I, and the question was, oh, will you will you look after it until we find someone else? And I was <laughs> sort of like, well, yeah, I'm starting a new job in four weeks. You've got four, you've got four <laughs> weeks to find someone else. And I started cobbling together, you know, my idea of what I figured, you know, we should be doing with all this incredible produce that was turning up. Um, and then they said, oh, would you, would you, you know, could you, would you be the head chef? And I was like, well, I haven't really done that before. And Hugh said, look, we know you haven't done that before, but we quite like what you're doing. Would you, would you do it? You know, you're, we think you'd be capable. Mm. And I thought, oh, well, I'd be capable and, and that'd be nice. There'll be lots of support from the, you know, the bigger team and whatnot. And they'll help me with the bits that I don't get and I'll be able to cook and we'll get a team together and that'll be great. And off we went down that path. Uh, for four and a half years. Wow. And on the uh, the flip side of uh, that question from Dan, what's some of the uh, the negatives or less favourable aspects that you've, you've dealt with in the industry? Oh, um, it's very, it, it's very dependent on what organisation and the people involved with it, right? There's, there were a lot of people for a while getting involved with hospitality who thought, particularly with bigger names that they could make a fast buck and get out or perhaps, you know, roll as we touched on earlier, roll something out um, and make it a chain of something and upscale the numbers because restaurants don't operate on a huge margin, right? It's not a gold mine. Um, It's barely a tin mine. In fact, (laughs) I mean, it's just about a hole in the ground. I mean, your busy days make your money, your quiet days right off the profit. Mm. Um, and there's an old joke in the industry as well about holiday pay, which is you go, you get, you know, you go on holiday, you get your two weeks off, which you get paid for. But while you're away, <laughs> two other people are doing all of your shifts and not getting paid overtime for them. <laughs> so ultimately, there's no holiday pay. Now you could expand that to the rest of the world, right? And go, mm. it's not really any such thing as holiday pay. They just spread out what you're earning over the year across the weeks you get paid for. But anyway, mm. that's slightly different. So the pitfalls I would say are when people who are creatively driven and have great experience or talent in in cooking and perhaps are half useful at organizing a team of cooks to deliver a series of services over a period of days using fresh ingredients and manage that ordering and wastage process and make sure that everything's as tickety-boo as possible when those people are then put under uh let's say business circumstance kind of pressures you know, we want this to be a bigger number. We want that to be a smaller number. You need to do this. That's it. That is not good support or communication for your operations team. If they haven't been trained or helped to understand what might be causing that. Now, I think that only happens when the people telling you that have looked at a spreadsheet, seen what's wrong with the numbers and told you to fix them. And they perhaps don't understand why the numbers are the way they are themselves. Mm. So maybe that's why they then don't communicate it to you. But you, after a while of that going on, you know, weekly meetings with um, board members who have nothing to do with the industry outside of happening to be on the board, start giving you contradictory directions from what will be good for your kitchen in terms of producing great food and having a happy team. Mm. That is ultimately, I think, what, a lot of chefs end up leaving the industry for there needs to be a much better switch over much more support from businesses that own restaurants when it comes to taking 
creative people and turning them into um, business managers. Yeah, or 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 maybe saying, okay, we you know we'll put in an administrator to deal with these mm. things and train you and work on them with you together. I'm not saying that all chefs would be open to that. I certainly probably have moments where I uh, I would have said, you can jog on, mate, if you think you're telling me, <laughs> <laughs> think you're telling me how to roast a potato. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so I think I think ultimately um, when, you, when you get into a position where the business side of a restaurant isn't producing the numbers for whatever reason, maybe because it, it, it can't, you know, maybe because you've designed an operation that's entirely fresh produce based, very labor intensive and cannot ever earn you the kind of margin that you can with a more structured industrialized process. Um, you know, that I think that, that for me in my career, personally speaking, I've always struggled when it's come to be the admin side of things, the business side of things. So we also like to talk a little bit about what people can expect salary wise. So we go away and we look at some figures um, and average data and starting salaries for, for chefs nowadays seem to be around 16,000 and the average is between 20 and 24,000. Does that sound right to you? Hang on. Well, let's just run some numbers. So 16,000 a year Yeah. as a starter mm-hmm. for, a, for a sort of perhaps someone who's done a Six month entry course at college or they've done an apprenticeship. Right. Okay. So they're not completely, you know, bewildered. The 52 weeks in a year and you get four off, that's 48. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. 16,000 divided by, uh, oh, hang on. I've just gone wrong on the calculator. (laughs) 16,000. See, I told you I was negative at this. (laughs) 16,000 divided by 48. That's uh, 333 pounds a week. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, then let's divide that by an average chef working hours of let's be generous. Let's say 60 hours. Mm-hmm. Does that sound like a, a reasonable amount of time for a chef to work in a week? I, it will be even better. We'll go 55. I don't believe that any, <laughs> any newly qualified chefs are working 55 hours a week. I expect they're doing more, but we'll, we'll chuck that in there. Yeah. So we'll divide that 33 recurring by 55. What number do you get? Six. Yeah. Six. About six. Six yeah. Now. Hmm. What's the national minimum wage for an eighteen-year-old? What is it now? Uh, isn't it nine? Is it nine something nine now? Mm. So we're getting two-thirds of. <laughs> is that right? Well, is it because I mean, while uh, you you obviously said that sixty hours a week that is not the normal uh, working hours for for anyone, really, is it? Um, well, I so... think I would be very surprised if. I would be very surprised if a chef wasn't working 55 hours a week. I know there are lots of people that say your contract is 45 hours and you probably end up doing 50, but a lot of that, you wouldn't get overtimed on that. I I still think, I still think right now that we have a long way to go, not just in our industry, but in a lot of other low paid jobs, driving a van, whatever it is, uh, which is something I have experience with recently. Right. You, you know, you've got to pay people money they can afford to live on. And this is, this is a bigger point. It's outside of my interest industry. Right. But I think we've got to really start to look at the way things work. I guess what we're saying here is you don't go into being a chef for money. You go into it with the passion and and the desire to create something. 
I hope so. Because if you if you are just you know if you are just looking for money and that's the kind of you know sixteen grand a year job, you can get a comfy one with a chair. Um, you know, in normal hours, mm. I'm sure. I'm sure. So certainly wouldn't recommend if you if you're going into. I w- I really don't want this to be negative. I think anyone who's inspired by food who thinks that cooking is for them i encourage them to go and give it a go i really really do but i encourage them to do it with the bravery and the mindset to say i am not working in an unacceptable or irresponsible way for an unfair exchange Mm, yeah certainly and, and that's difficult when you're young, right? And when you're starting out, or even if you're starting out and you're not young, I get that, right? But I look back at my career previous independence and I think, God, you know, I wish I'd been more bullshit. I wish I'd said, no, do you know what? I, I'm not, <laughs> not going to work 70 hours next week just to make your restaurant work because I'm tired mm. and, and you're not paying me enough, you know? I wish I'd been more like that. Uh, not, not to the extent where, you know, you're just an impossible person to employ. But I think you should stand up for knowing what is right and honest and good. And there are loads of employers out there now, right? I will, I will say this. Things have improved dramatically in the last 10 years. And there are employers out there doing incredible stuff. And they are to be applauded. Um, and they are the future. You know, if you want vibrant people to come and offer you their creativity on a daily basis you just got to treat them right yeah i just want to jump back on those numbers slightly so i just sorry yeah because i I, I got muddled didn't i yeah um so well we obviously said that a chef generally works about 60 hours a week whereas most contracts for uh, people would probably be about 40 hours a week and it may be 45 um for, for, for a chef they obviously do longer hours so the average minimum wage for someone at 21 years old is eight pound 20 which if you were to do your contracted 40 hours a week would you be actually getting eight pound 33 so maybe it's actually it is the 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 businesses stepping on that little guy a little bit too much um and maybe i I don't know is there is there any sort of unions out there for chefs there are there are are. and there's some and there's some great there's some great resources to help people as well. But the problem is that, you know, we've got to, as a society, and this isn't just in my industry, I think this is in every industry. I think, you know, the constant effort is to look at the bottom line and say, oh, well, these are the least responsible people. We have to give them the minimum amount we can possibly get away with. Yeah. Right. But that is built on a structure of fast, you know, maximizing profit. Okay. Now, what maybe we should do is look at a more sustainable business model where perhaps it's more expensive to eat out. You know, maybe there's a bit more value placed on that. I mean, we used to, I mean, the scandal in the last few years about service charge being taken by the company. Yeah. You know, 50% of the service charge being taken by the company and only 50% of it going to the staff. These are not people who are being paid well. And you as a diner are giving extra money because they deserve it because you've had a good experience and they are not getting it. That is beyond selfish. Unless you're ring fencing that money for a training program or to get disadvantaged kids into your kitchen. Correctly. Yeah. 
yeah listen i get it and there's creative ways of doing that and and absolutely money any money in a business that can be ring fenced for doing that sort of altruistic kind of work that not only supports the future of your industry but you know is to making a valid and positive change for people's lives it's not to be knocked but when it's you know board members pocketing another dividend when you've got 25 year old kids burning themselves out yeah you know I don't think that's right. Um, having said that, you know, there are a lot of pressures in a kitchen and, you know, it, <laughs> there's a lot of people that you think perhaps aren't worth more than the minimum wage. But I think that's just an old fashioned mindset. I think yeah. you need to, you need to look at that. Um, yeah, sorry. I've got massively sidetracked there. <laughs> no <laughs> that's all right. Um, so what would be something that's uh, not in the job description that you, uh, you have to deal with every now and then? Oh, uh. <laughs> I, I suppose that almost comes back to something you were talking about earlier of uh, team management and the Excel spreadsheets that you probably didn't expect going in to be a chef. No, man. I mean, at college, well, I was probably the last generation, I suppose, of kids at school who kind of, there were computers there, but we didn't really know what they were for. I mean, there was a few kids that knew what to do with them, right? And could probably do a bit of word processing at a push, um mind you i don't think i'm much better now but um you know the idea of a spreadsheet i mean i remember using one and being told to fill it in and deleting all the formulas and working everything out on a calculator and manually inputting it because i couldn't make it work you know i mean i can't be the only person that did that all right i'm 42 i'm old but um you know there was a now i think kids leave school with better you know ability to manage stuff than that and also the software is a lot more user-friendly than it used to be so that's one thing but also you know hold tight you want to be a, a young chef there are times when you need to be able to rewire a plug on a piece of equipment in the kitchen that's broken and uh, wrap the now bare wires in the plasters from the first aid kit because if you don't fix that machine before service it's game over right despite the fact you're not qualified to do it and you shouldn't be touching it if you're not prepared to stick your head down a manhole cover and scrape out armloads of solidified fat because the kitchen drains are starting to swell up you know then the, there is a whole side to that job right that people definitely don't think about when they go into it and that if you're in a big hotel they'll have maintenance people right that's different mm. but if you're in a small indie restaurant or a short chain of restaurants it's very likely you're gonna have to get your hands pretty dirty i mean you know that sort of thing so have you got any advice for any young people either wanting to get into it or getting into it about progression through the industry yeah yeah man definitely give yourself some time every month to just stop and think about what you're doing. I work with chefs a lot who've been in the same place for a long time and weren't interested in the food they were making. That's fine. Maybe they, you know, they, if they hadn't said, Oh, I you know, I don't really want to be doing this, then I would have got it. But if you, if, if it's just a job and you go in and you do your job, that's one thing. But if you really have desires within food and you want to go and do them, then you should stick to that. Right. So, I always tried to stick to going to work for people whose food I was interested in. Occasionally I take a job for better money, right? We've all done it. And usually that was a mistake, but focus on the broader picture. Don't get too sucked into working where you're working right now. Give it the best you can. But once you walk out the door, go and look at the rest of the industry for an hour in the evening, talk to some other chefs who are working in different places, 
keep in touch with the chefs you've worked at, work with at other places. That's really important because they'll be able to steer you in the direction of opportunities and other cool stuff going on and be aware of being honest to yourself because the problem will arise when you don't want to go to work because you're doing stuff that actually is not what you wanted to do. So go and work for the people you want to work for. Try and do it as much as possible on the right terms, you know, and, and be prepared to commit your evenings and your weekends to the industry. And, you know, you will get some great rewards out of it. I mean, I feel like I've been negative a lot. No, no I think you've just been honest about the industry, which is important. But we can sit here, definitely listen to, um, can hear your passion coming through for the industry and what you've done. So that's that's brilliant. And actually, that sort of leads on to the last question: Would you still go into the industry, knowing everything you know now? <laughs> oh God, um, I wish that I knew what I know now when I was younger. Mm. Um, God, would anyone relive their lives exactly? No, that wasn't the question. Would I go into the industry? Yeah. Do you know what? I mean, I mean, I would go back into the industry for the right job on the right terms. There's no doubt about it. I mean, my problem personally was that I struggled to draw a line between my life at work and my life at home and my life at work would always take over. And I would, you know, my wife always says it was like you have, you were having an affair only your restaurant was the affair and that was more (laughs) important to you than your wife. And he didn't care if she knew it or not, you know, and that, that mindset had been something that I built myself into over, for years. You know, it wasn't happening over, that didn't happen overnight. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I would definitely go back in. I would definitely go and do it again. And I would definitely do it in a much more uh, sensible, grown up and certain way, if that makes sense. Definitely. I think, you know, you said you thought you'd been negative, but I just think you've been very honest about it. But that answer there sort of makes you realize that the industry is all about passion. The fact that you said, you know, yes, it is difficult, but you'd still go back, you know, for the right opportunity and you just do it in the right way. And I think it's really important for anyone listening that you take Tim's advice and and do value yourself when you go into a job. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. And th- and don't hang about, you know, just because you're enjoying somewhere and you're really loving working there. If you've learned what you wanted to learn there and there's somewhere else to go, don't be tempted to hang around just because you're enjoying it because you can get, you know, you can get comfy in a restaurant with a good team. And, you know, every head chef out there will hate me for saying that. But, um, <laughs> You know, because the typical thing in the industry is you get a chef, they work with you for a year, you get them where you want them to be. They're just turning out to be the most useful person in the kitchen and they leave and work somewhere else. But every head chef should know that. You should know that that, that that's what's going to happen because the whole point of a career progression for a cook is to go and work with others and bounce those ideas off their own mm. and gather the skills and find out what they like and what they don't like and then take them somewhere else. And if you get shirty about that, they'll never come back. Those guys will meet young chefs and say, you've got to go and work for this guy. Mm. And if you treat them well, they'll only ever send you really positive people who are going to do you a favour, you know? Well, thank you so much for coming on, Tim. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you, and it's been sort of very eye-opening about the industry. 
<laughs> well, here's hoping I don't get letters from industry bodies <laughs> telling, telling me off. But I, and, you know, and I will finally just one last time caveat that by saying that was quite a long time ago. There's a lot of there's a lot of more forward thinking, much more positive people in the industry now, and I hope that that is the glorious future. Once we get through this terrible time that all of the industry is facing right now. Um, that there is a brighter time ahead for all those creative people working Definitely. in the brilliant industry. Yeah. Thank you so much. Where can people find you on a social media and anywhere else? Oh, um, lurking in the background usually. <laughs> um, but I am I'm definitely on Twitter and I'm definitely on Instagram. I think it's at Tim Maddams Chef on Instagram and I think it's at Chef Tim Maddams on Twitter, one or the other. Both feeds are on my website, which is creatively titled Tim Maddams. So um, that's not because I'm self-obsessed, although I might be, but it's just because it seemed very simple to call it that. <laughs> well, thank you once again. It's yeah. been an absolute pleasure Thanks, talking Tim. to you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye.